Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. We're in the Sermon on the Mount um, in a mini-series on prayer. What prayer does God really want? This is the second part. I finished the first part in the last Gospel Rant podcast, right? Uh, we're talking about the so-called Lord's Prayer. That's not how the Bible labels it. That's how we have historically labeled it. So how are we supposed to see it? We Christians, how are we supposed to use it? Or I like to think, how do we see Jesus here? Is he wagging his finger? Is he scolding the religious leaders who are listening, looking for evidence against him? Is he setting up a new pillar for his movement? Remember the Jews had three pillars, almsgiving and prayer and fasting. Is Jesus saying, this is the pillar of my movement? It seems like that's what, how we treat it. Uh, is he saying this is what you should do really well and enough to gain the favor of God? You know, God, that is how the Jews treated almsgiving and prayer and fasting for the most part. And again, I think this is important. It's in concert with everything we've been saying about the Sermon on the Mount, which is the capstone of the entire Gospel of Matthew. All right? So to tee things off, I'm going to say this, and uh, you can challenge it, bill at gospel-app.com. I think we Christians often veer into prayerology. Prayerology. I coined the word. It's a form of well-meaning idolatry around prayer and uh, almsgiving, right? Uh, toss in fasting and, and to toss in, by the way, morning devotions and a, a lot of things that we do ritualistically. Am I saying, this is important, am I saying that prayer and almsgiving and um, fasting are evil or wrong somehow or, or morning devotions? No, of course not. They're good. Prayer is really good. It's wonderful. And frankly, it's the first thing that your heart wants to do when you're saved. The very first thing. You feel joy and gratefulness and shock and appreciation, and you just want to thank God. You want to be with Him. You want to feel His presence and joy, and so you verbally do something and say something. It's so pure. It's so childlike. In a theological word, it is holy. And look, at that point, you aren't indoctrinated into some specific right way to pray. You don't know the approved words. You don't even know there are approved words. You're just bubbling over and you're speaking to God from your heart, at least for a moment or two. But then we teach you the real ropes. We teach you how you should really pray correctly, and you, you need to do that enough, and then your prayer changes. It becomes a little more about your effort, your choice. Your midbrain begins to worry that you do it right or fears that you're doing it wrong. And, and then there's the fears, this natural human midbrain, amygdala fear, wondering if you've done something to screw up and God maybe doesn't love you as much. And, and maybe you develop this different kind of image that God is, is not this wonderful Savior. He's, he's actually a judge sitting up there grading you. And that infant purity begins to fade a little maybe a lot. Everyone has felt this, I think. I mean, push back, Bill, at gospel-app.com. So many people I speak to would, would nod their head and go, yeah, that's probably about right. So listen, the initial prayer, that childlike prayer, once you've been saved, it really is a fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to argue that uh, it still should be, and we've lost that emphasis. Okay? 
And look, look, all fruits of the Spirit tend to become idols. They do. And our bent, a little or a lot, is to replace the Spirit with our own effort, right? And how's that gone for us Christians? Not really well, if we were honest. So prayer becomes, for Christians, something that is often hard and so disappointing, and it feels fruitless. So let's see if we can begin to fix it. It's one of the passions of Gospel App Ministries. It's in our discipleship workbooks. We have a whole chapter on, on praying in the second Gospel App series. Uh, I think you can pick that up at Right Now Media and listen to it, or you can uh, get the workbook. I would recommend that from our website, gospel-app.com. Okay, but that's what these three podcasts are all about. Pass them on to your f- friends who struggle with prayer. And by the way, honestly, I think that's everybody. So this, this is a very important gospel rant. And uh, by the way, I said in the first podcast, it was two parts. You know, it's three parts, you know, pastors. Um, so please get the word out. Pass it on to friends who struggle with this, and they may just thank you. What, it might be a great Christmas present, by the way. Um, I'm not going to do a separate podcast on fasting. Uh, Jesus does mention that. It would just end up repeating this. All right. First, a word from our sponsors, and then the Lord's Prayer. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, welcome back. It's telling how Jesus shifts to this model prayer. Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Right, babbling makes sense. It implies just saying the same words over and over and over and over again. And this is different from the previous verses where Jesus was speaking about hypocrisy in prayer. I mean, he'll pick that up in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but it's different than saying a prayer in a way or in a context where others see you and say, hey, look at that person. I mean, boy, are they super spiritual. I, I wish I could pray like them. They must have a great relationship with God. I'm jealous. Right? That's different than Jesus is just saying in these two verses. Jesus is clear. Uh, when they do that, they're checking. Uh, they, have a, they have a goal. They have a checkbox, consciously or subconsciously. And theirs is to get noticed and approved of. So they check that box, but that goal, which they receive, which they achieve, that checkbox is just not very impressive. They're trading, in a sense, an experience of the heavenly glories already purchased for them by Jesus. I mean, assuming that they're followers and and have the Holy Spirit, uh, they're, they're exchanging that for an experience of a dopamine hit here in their brain, uh, the attaboy dopamine hit. And both of them feel good, by the way. 
the experience of heavenly glories and dopamine hits, but one of them is so much better than the other. They're both addictive. See, like I said, and we all do this, dopamine hits of any kind are addictive. This is, this is important to understand why we do certain things and can't seem to stop it, uh, and particularly if we're good at it. So, and so we shouldn't criticize brothers and sisters who are addicted to such prayer efforts. Um, and they're getting noticed for them, right? They're doing conferences, they're writing books, they're teaching discipleship classes on how to pray, and they're getting dopamine hits. And I'm not criticizing them. I understand it. I, I get it. I totally get it. Uh, see, what I, what I also know is that that's not what that person really, really needs and longs for. Dopamine hits of that type, the attaboy, girl dopamine hits, they don't last very long. And it's an addiction and the hits need to ramp up or the person will become frustrated or even depressed or feel like a failure. Uh, they'll work themselves into perfectionism. And our pews are loaded with frustrated people who, who aren't getting the prayer dopamine hits they used to and, and that they really, really want. Uh, I can remember a long season in Christianity during the 80s and early 90s when prayer was the thing. Uh, you know, if, if you weren't reading three or four prayer books and doing prayer groups and doing conferences, then they were everywhere. It was the emphasis of the age. And listen, uh, those numbers have faded. They have. You do the math. So now, Jesus turns a corner in his Sermon on the Mount. Another thing, when you pray, again, we all are supposed to pray. We all pray. It's just our motivation and how we pray. So when you pray to God, don't just repeat words or sentences. Don't just do anything over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm, here, listen, why would we just, when we're talking to someone, why would we just keep repeating something? It, frankly, we're low on the EQ scale. We're, we're not aware of, of how our words and actions can really rub against people. We're insensitive if we keep repeating something to God as if he didn't hear it the first time. And frankly, Jesus says he already knows it. So why do we feel like he needs us to repeat things, right? I mean, do we think that God is going, wait, 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 slow, slow down, let me get a pen. Wait, all right, I'm, no, no, never mind. I'm going to leave myself a text. Google, remind me to do something about the, wait, 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 what did you say again? I mean, it's as if we're thinking that God has some kind of mental deficiencies, and that's absurd. But we go on doing it. People from the outside can see it and see us doing it. And here's a great example. Why do we keep repeating Jesus's name when we pray? I mean, right? You've heard this. You've done this. I've done this. So Jesus, I just want to thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing, Jesus, in my life, Jesus. I mean, it's like we're, we're treating the name Jesus like it's a comma, and actually bad grammar comma. Uh, and I'm not questioning people's relationship with Jesus when they're praying this thing. They're praying. Um, and I think to a degree, they, they really want to honor Jesus. It's just a low EQ. They seem to be unaware or insensitive that they're speaking. They're actually speaking to a real person because they would never speak to their boss that way, right? Boss, good morning, boss. Yes, I have the report, boss, that you asked for, boss. And boss, I was wondering about that promotion, boss. Well, I mean, if that's, what you're, if that's how you treat your boss, forget the promotion, right? See what I mean? See, I remember back when you were made fun of and criticized if you didn't end your prayer in Jesus' name. 
like it's some kind of magic talisman that unleashed the favor of God or withheld it if you didn't say it, even though Jesus never says in my name. He never teaches us to say in my name. Uh, And there's another thing. See, now we're down to a a bigger theological error. Um, Jesus is speaking to them then and today, and and they think that they will be heard because they say an abundance of words or the right words in the case of the Lord's Prayer. So uh, the theological error is, is imagining that God is at his royal desk like an accountant, listening and checking all the boxes just to make sure that you say the right thing, you say the right things enough, you used his name enough, and you used a careful balance of cats, right? Confession, adoration, thanksgiving, and supplication in the right order. It could be acts, not cats. We debate this, right? And if not, if there's an unchecked box, why would you expect they will answer your prayer? Matter of fact, why do you even think he's going to pay attention and he just gives you the cold shoulder. Really? I mean, none of us in our prefrontal cortices would say that's what we believe, and yet we pray as if that's true. Um, a little cognitive dissonance happening there. And it doesn't sound like Jesus, the Jesus in the New Testament. Right? His argument, which launches the Lord's Prayer, is, is this. Don't do that because God already knows what you need. He knows what you want. He knows what your life requires before you even ask him. He knows what he wants of you and what you need more than you do. He cares for you more than you know. Jesus has already purchased all of the heavenly blessings. Is God now playing some kind of paganistic cat and mouse games with you? You know, oh, be careful what you ask for because he may give it to you even though he really wanted to give you something else. Come on, are we kidding? Is that what God's doing? If that is, let's run to the hills. Nobody wants anything to do with that. I don't. Do you really think that if you finally say enough words and the right words, the pure holy words and the godlike words, enough, whatever enough means, that either God's going to finally, or are you saying in the morning, of course, that's more important. God has more attention space than I guess. Uh, if you and if you did all of that, that, then God would finally hear you, or they would finally see that you're legit. Or oh my goodness, look, he, he is worthy, she is worthy, and then maybe he might, you might earn his favor for your efforts. Again, doesn't that sound more like paganism than the good news that Jesus proclaimed to the people on that hillside he's speaking to, who didn't do any of that and yet received the kingdom of heavens? So. Is he saying they can lose it if they don't quickly come up to speed on prayer technique? God help us. No, says Jesus. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And he's not going he's not withholding what you need. So, I'm going to suggest that Jesus is in a rhetorical sense you, you this may be new to you. I think he's making fun of ritualized prayer efforts of the religious Jews. And by the way, ours today not in a cruel way. I think he's using sarcasm, satire. So here's Jesus, right? See, I know if I told you to stand on your head, say some formula three times while facing east, even though I'm satirizing typical human foolishness when they pray, it's gonna, you're going to do it, and it's going to become another religion, and you're going to fight over it and kill each other. So I'm going to make it clear, so clear that I'm, that I'm using satire, I'm satirizing existing 
legalism, to teach you Christians something, my new children, about the stunning freedom that you, as a real child of God, have when you come into his presence. And it's so hard to believe. Your midbrain's going to push against it. It's amazing what you can say there, that he wants to hear from you, your words. Again, it's so hard for humans to get because of our fear. And in particular, you humans that are on this hillside in Galilee, where every time you've tried to go to God, you've been criticized either by family, the so-called religious leaders, your friends. And of course, there's that critical inner spirit in your midbrain. So I'm going to teach you something by satirizing what your brain typically thinks. Here's how to pray. This, am, I, am I making some sense? Uh, look, if you don't buy it, check out the Psalms. These are God-approved prayer, and some of them are so shocking. You know, I know a lot of Christians who, who just are afraid to be angry in the presence of God, to be angry at God in prayer. It's sin, right? You're going to be cursed, or, or it's, it's not going to work, or something. So what do they do? They hold back their anger. They mask it like God can't see, right? Uh, and, and anger. Where's anger in the Lord's Prayer? So clearly it's uh, not approved of because the, the Lord's Prayer doesn't encourage anger. You know, read Psalm 88. Read it a couple times and tell me that the psalmist isn't angry at God. And it's approved in the presence of God speak. It's It's biblically approved, right? So, as we quote-unquote mature, so many of us come to believe that we got to be exact and perfect in what we say to God and how we say it. We can't be angry. We can't feel depressed or unbelieving. We've got to act like we believe. Um, and, you know, we have to be aware that he knows what a sinner I've been and how greedy and insensitive I've been, and I've got to make up for it with prayer, so I better not screw this up. Well, how... how uh, how endearing is that kind of prayer? I mean, how how often do I want to do that? That's high stress. Not the kind of thing I'm looking for in relationships. So I'm imagining Jesus winking and laughing. Uh, I think he's using his arms. I think everybody who sees him on that hillside is getting it, that, that he's not creating another uh, pillar for his movement. You know, child, he's your loving father, Prayer is all about his desire for you to be in his presence, all of you, all the warts and wrinkles. He wants you to look up into his eyes and see his pupils dilate, see his joy, his approval, all earned by me, Jesus says. So come as you are. Are you angry? Come angry. Are you struggling to experience hope, joy, confusion, doubt? Are you riddled with shame? Come with all of them. What are you going to do? Leave them aside? Come as you are. Wow. Now that would be interesting, right? And I'm going to suggest you did that once when you were saved. You did that once for a moment, maybe two, maybe a day, but you've experienced it. It's not like I'm creating something out of whole cloth. So here's an experiment. You know, as you're listening to the Sermon on the Mount and particularly Lord's Prayer, imagine that Jesus is clearly using sarcasm, Jewish rhetorical devices to make fun a little of the religious Jews, uh, warmly, knowing that they're not evil. This is very human. Um, taking something uh, with, with great freedom and institutionalize it till the freedom strangled out of it. So the people on the hillside are going, going to evolve. They're human in that direction unless Jesus stops them now. And this show is on the road. So don't take this as a new rule, which we do. He's teaching the newbies something wonderful. And I think we can see it from the get-go what Jesus is doing. Listen. 
So this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father. Pater hemon in the Greek. Our Father. So then he pauses. Okay? He's pausing. See, one of the reasons we've been doing the entire Sermon on the Mount in context is that so that we can remember who Jesus is, is speaking to right then and there. He's not speaking to well-heeled Christians who just want tips and tricks to buff up our righteousness, or Jews who just left the Day of Atonement and, and have done their sacrifice. He's speaking to the Jewish and Gentile outcast, the poor in spirit, the unclean, the impure, those many of whom couldn't go to the temple or synagogue. They couldn't go to the temple or synagogue to pray, Right? And the first thing he says, so you pray starting off this way, say, pater hemon, our father, pater. None of them would have imagined ever that God would consider himself their father. They'd screwed up long time before this, and perhaps for many, their own fathers have disowned them or abused them. Why in the world would they fall into a nasty trap like that? So Jesus, uh-uh-uh-uh, I'm not taking that bait. If I go into the presence of God, I'm calling him God or Lord or something, But if because if I call him Father, ooh, I think he would take offense to that. Lightning, maybe. So it's better to stay quiet and humbled and just be silent and, and wear a mask. Well, that sounds pretty pagan, right? And, and perhaps Jesus is looking around. He's paused just to make sure that everyone heard it correctly, those two words. And maybe he repeated them, pater hemon, say our father, our father. Like Jesus, he's already shocked them. He said the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is theirs, meaning without any kind of restrictions. It is theirs, theirs. And so now he's given them just one more bit of unbelievable good news that falls from that. Oh, yeah. And by the way, when you enter the kingdom of heaven, which is now yours, address God as Abba, Pater. So might as well start taking baby steps, even though it's uncomfortable right now and and beyond what you can even grasp. When you go into his presence by faith, start with looking up, you'll see his loving, adoring eyes and boldly cry out Abba or Pater, right? Equally shocking. That's a very, very good start. See, I suspect that so many on that hillside were so shocked that their minds blanked and they missed a bunch of the rest of Jesus's words. You know, hey, did, did he say pater? Did he? Wait, wait, he's, he's not us? We're supposed to God and say, Father, does he know who we are? He must not. <laughs> See, it's absurd to say that he's just giving a new rubric. Um, he's teaching them something more stunning about their new relationship with God that he's going to pay for in a few years. See, I'm shocked that he wasn't stoned on the spot by the religious leaders. I imagine that the crowd is beginning to awkwardly chuckle, you know, that kind of wave of chuckling that starts in one corner and kind of rolls across the hillside. It's too, it's unbelievable what he's saying, and I think we miss that. All right, this is probably a good time as any to take a sponsor break. So don't forget where we are. Uh, We'll see you in a moment. All right, back to prayer. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right. 
in Matthew 6, 5 to 7, we've already covered this in a previous podcast, Jesus criticized the religious professionals for pursuing their own glory and desires, even as they outwardly prayed to God. Right? He says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men and women. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Man, I wonder if Jesus is really smirking here, a broad grin, because this isn't an outright condemnation, right? Hallowed be your name, God's name. It's, it's, a, it's a fun rhetorical exposure of how our brains work. The hypocrite would say, and no doubt many of us really believe, that our motivation to pray is to glorify God. It is to glorify God. And so we prove our worthiness, our righteousness and purity, and so ultimately have God smile upon us in response because we really want his glory. So we pray to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see the irony? Is, is, are you picking it up? See, even though we know in our prefrontal cortex, don't we, that Jesus already purchased a well done, good and faithful servant for us, and we can't do anything more to earn it more, right? And yet we pray and we use prayer. We use prayer to earn some glory from God. And to do that, we say, we're here to glorify your name, but really, partly, we want God to glorify us. Right? Too painful? Too close? (laughs) Me too, by the way. Jesus analyzes their all-too-human motives, no judgment from me, and exposes the universal dirty little secret within all human beat-up brains. It turns out that we will quickly use God as a prop. And really, so often when we pray, subconsciously or indirectly, our real motivation is to be seen as righteous by others, or by God, right? So by men, women, our colleagues, our families, even strangers on the street, and particularly God. I want God to see that I want his glory so that he'll give me some glory. It's not evil per se. It really is very human. So they, we, it's, it's, not, it's not a question of them cursing God, but it's, it's not the same motivation that I spoke about earlier, this birth of the Spirit when we're saved. See, never does the Spirit or Jesus, when he prays, never do they need the acclamation of humanity or even God. They pray out of an awareness of it. And it seems that Jesus really wanted to speak to his Father face to face and benefited from it. It brought him peace, it would seem, rest. He didn't get it to get praise from God or from anyone else for that matter. I mean, do we have any recorded answer of, uh, from God the Father to God the Son? I mean, the one that comes to mind is when God says no, when Jesus asks that the cup pass from him. His relationship and dialogue with the Father is, I mean, it's, it's enviable just how free it seems. He's able and willing, Jesus, to set aside his hallowness, if I can coin a word, and to commit to hallowing the Father even to death. He just It seems natural to him. It seems part of his DNA. It's not mine. And that wild motivation of giving up hallowness just doesn't discourage his time with the Father. In fact, it seemed to motivate it. He regularly took the time to speak, uh, Father and Son. See, I don't think to you that Jesus began his chat with the Father my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I mean, do you think that's how it went down? That Jesus actually prayed the Lord's Prayer? No, I don't, I don't think so. There's no record of it. I doubt it. I'm suggesting that this was his heart. This was his vision, his passion, his DNA. He lived giving hallowness to his Father. He wanted to. 
not just words. Well, here's my question, and I don't mean this in a judgment. I'm I'm saying we we all it's time to be honest. Is is that what we do? Or are we saying words hoping that it looks like we mean it, meaning giving God's hell in us even though we don't get any? See? And and look, I know we can't do this perfectly this side of heaven, but it should be noticeable in our actions and passions. But oh, come on, we humans, we want credits. We want to be graded. We want to be improving. And not just that I would say more, but but I want it. I really am sh- should want to shift to, to want God's hallowness above my own. And noticeably show, so, and I'll show you how. It's a fruit of the Spirit, just like it was at the beginning. The Spirit of Christ does that 100% of the time. So do we think that if we say, I mean, indirectly, subconsciously, do we think that if we say the phrase, hallowed be thy name enough, that we will begin to feel it? That we will want our name to be hallowed less? Got to fake it until you make it thing? Well, how's that going? By the way, ask a friend if, if, if they see that in you. I mean, as always, with everything that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we should be so motivated for the Father's glory in every aspect of our lives, but we're not. Not to the level that any of us should brag. Again, Jesus is rhetorically teaching a way how we can get this alien motivation. Okay, remember, one, admit that we really don't want God's hallowness if it conflicts with our own hallowness. Welcome to fallen humanity, even redeemed fallen humanity. Two, the spirit who dwells in our inner being, the spirit of Christ, he's sometimes described, 100% feels and longs for God's hallowness over his own. See, I can tap into that by faith. Become more in sync with the Spirit by asking, Holy Spirit, make me long for God's hallowness over my own today. And and, uh, may your perfect love cast out all my fears. That's a great Lord's Prayer. And I can do that until I feel a difference. Again, I'll give you more more, uh, suggestions on that later on in this podcast and the next. This is the pattern that Jesus has used throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard me refer to it. We should do this, but we won't. (laughs) We can't. His Spirit does. I need to ask the Spirit to be made in sync and empowered by God. Then I'm going to feel different. I might even want to pray more and differently. So the Lord's Prayer is being tossed out there so that my response would be, oh my gosh, I, I don't pray that way. Jesus, I need help. Exactly. All right, back to the hillside. Those people most likely weren't great prayers. He isn't saying that their lot is based upon their need to pray better or right or enough. He came to rescue the poor in spirit, those of us who really feel alienated from God, who are alienated from God, who aren't really experiencing the intimacy that he's purchased for us. Then he gives us his spirit and a new heart, same metaphor, I think, that comes with a new motivation and desire, listen, for God's hallowness over my own, for God's glory over my own. We've all felt it once. When I got saved, the next few days were a blur. I'll I'll tell you, I'll testify. I got rid of so many things, some expensive and valuable that I had used in in a way to get hallowness for me, um, to get dopamine hits. I didn't think of it that way then. I just wanted to hallow God. And in my new Christian brain, it meant get rid of as many idols that I could think of. I wanted to. Not to get anything. I didn't sell them. I realized later I could have and should have, but I didn't. 
because I was having so much fun getting rid of idols. I didn't even know they were idols before. I, I felt like for a moment I didn't need them. I had something better. It was a rush. I didn't know it at the time, but I was hallowing God in my life. Not to get anything. It was fresh. It was intimate, honest. It was a fruit of what he was doing in my life. I didn't need to pray the words. My prayers were very unsophisticated. You know, And there's days I just wish that in some ways I was back there. And I think that's Jesus' point. We can get there by faith. So don't lose that. And, and look, don't we pray this so often? Look, come on, let's be honest. Nobody's going to see you if you're nodding. Don't we still functionally think and act that we have to earn God's favor every day by saying this prayer over and over? I mean, it, it's not necessary and it won't work because we already have all of God's favor because of Christ. I think at a, a certain level, our prefrontal cortex really does know that. You could take a test, Christian, and pass it on this topic. I think most of us, if asked directly, would agree that Jesus purchases God's favor uh, once and for all, and there can be no more favor that we have to earn. But then listen to our prayers. It seems like we're jonesing for God to favor us more. And the fact of the matter is we're jonesing to experience God's favor more. But saying that prayer isn't going to get us there, I don't think. I'll have other suggestions. And Here's a test. We feel guilty if we say it wrong or not enough. You you wake up and you realize you haven't been praying for a week or two or a month. And and you get criticized for that. We self-criticize ourselves if we don't pray enough. So back to Jesus's satirical smirking. Is he saying to the crowd of religiously unclean that if the professional pious are, are so hypocritical that even while they pray to God all the time, secretly, subconsciously, God sees that they just want praise of men. If that's the professionals, what hope do the rest of the population have? And let's face it, our hearts at a certain deep level are no different than the other hypocrites. My heart wants, it demands my own experience of hallowing. I want God to hallow me. I just do, my brain. My brain is jonesing for that hallowing, and that hallowing eventually comes from God. That's why I'm praying to him. Some of the crowd would probably have said, well, then who does pray right enough? I mean, how can I, how can I be saved kind of, kind of statement? And the answer, there's only one person. Only one person ever. The same Jesus who stands before you. And you can begin to share his motivation by asking the Holy Spirit to make you feel that, by asking. Don't fall into the same human trap as the professional religious. It's not a question of the right words or how often or enough. It's a, it's a motivation, and that motivation is uniquely a fruit of Jesus's spirit. All right, here's another thought. How many times have I heard Christians complain that they're not getting anything out of their prayer life? All right, right? Think about it with me. If my prayer was that God gets the entire honor from everything I do and say, what difference would it make if I don't get a good feeling when I pray? Are you with me? If I was being honest, I pray partly, a little or a lot, in order to feel some personal sense of hallowed be my name. And if I don't get that spiritual hit on a regular basis, I'm going to be discouraged. My prayer life will languish. It'll stink. So can I really say that in my heart of heart that I really mean, God, forget about my experience. The only important thing here is that you receive proper glory. 
I'm good with doing this forever if need be. Don't worry about me, God. No, we're human. I'm supposed to really want to God to be honored over and above my own honor, right? Not my will, but thy will be done. The greatest Lord's Prayer ever, by the way. I'd put it up there, uh, even above the Lord's Prayer. That is the greatest example of prayer. So I, I'm supposed to want God's honor no matter what I feel. But if the deep heart truth were really, really exposed, even as I say the prayer, I really want to share God's honor. I really do. So I can and am supposed to, here's the, here's the themes of the Sermon on the Mount, I, I'm supposed to give God 100% of the glory, but I'm not. I won't. I can't. My heart, uh, severely honest testimony probably sounds more like this. So God, hallowed be your name, of course, but now that I've said that, can you please hallow my name a little in front of my friends? I mean, just a little bit. That's all I'm asking. A little bit. You more than me, but but a little, that would be great. And then I'll be more faithful. Uh, I mean, I'm going to talk with you more. But look, if you don't respond, I'm probably going to be looking for hallowing from some other source. Sorry, God. Good talk. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's sad. But probably very common. All right. I hope I haven't offended anybody too much. I hope you keep listening. We have another podcast on prayer. It's not my point to upset anybody, and I get it. You've been taught, like me, to repeat the Lord's Prayer word for word. We teach kids that. The implicit truth of that is that if they do it, then God's happy with them versus God's already happy with them because of what Jesus has done for them 2,000 years ago, right? It's not a bad thing to say the Lord's Prayer. They're Jesus's words. They're biblical. But strictly because of what Jesus has done, the relationship he purchased, I can begin to explore new and God-honoring ways to pray um, that reflect my heart. And at the end of the next podcast, I'm going to share some things that you can explore. You, you can do that because God adores you as much as the Father loves the Son and the Spirit, and the Son and the Spirit love the Father. He loves you whether you pray or not, or pray enough, or right or not. And as you experience that adoration, here's the thing, you're going to want to pray more and probably differently. So the key with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as well is to ask the Spirit to make you feel the love of Christ, the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ, Ephesians 3. It's already yours. And then watch as your prayer life morphs, evolves, and becomes more real, becomes more organic and interesting and wonderful. You can throw away all the lists and not the other way around. Stop it, right? Just stop what you've been doing. There can be real personal depth to your conversations, your requests, your confessions. Remember, God already knows what you need. Speak to your Abba child, your pater. Mask, do not impress him. Um, Okay, that's it for this podcast. Hopefully it's making some sense. Push back, Bill at gospel-app.com. I really mean that. I want to hear what you're thinking and what you're wrestling with. Thanks again to lifeaudio.com. Check out the podcast on their site. Also, pass the word about the Gospel Rant to others you know. This is important and maybe even life-changing stuff about prayer. People that you know struggle with prayer, which, by the way, is pretty much everybody. Uh, Parents of teens and tweens, check out Good Enough Parent, www.goodenoughparent.online. It's free. If you're having struggles with your tween or teens, check it out. Again, it is totally free. You'll be so glad you did. By the way, here's an idea. If, if, If you're not a parent of teen or tween, You do know some struggling parents who are. This might be a great Christmas gift for them. Next time, we pick up with Your Kingdom Come. Pass the word out on this thing on prayer. This one podcast or these three podcasts can really 
change things. You'll see. Take heart, child of God. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.